And welcome to the July and August edition of FAA Safety Briefing Live. We have a very informative and fun program for you this time. We're taking a theme from a classic movie as the storyline for many of the topics that will be discussed. I'm Paul Prydecker, and I'm joined by Susan Parson. Hi, Susan. Hi, Paul. How are you? Doing well. It's always nice to work with you. I see that you might be in Arizona tonight. I am. A storm just passed. It's monsoon season here. Ah, very good. Susan, if you would, just tell our viewers about you and, and the work you do for the FAA. I work for FAA Flight Standards. I do a lot of different things. Um, I always say I'm the chief border collie for the Airman Certification Standards Project, but one of my uh, fun jobs is also to be the editor-in-chief for the FAA Safety Briefing Magazine and work with a really great team that you can read about on the broadcast page. That's great. Uh, for myself, uh, I've been flying for about 30 years. I just was kind of thinking about when I took my first lesson. So I'm 30 years this year. Uh, like many people, started in general aviation. And about 19 years ago, I joined one of the airlines because I can kind of bridge the gap between general aviation and, and Part 21. So welcome, everybody. And let, let's move on. And as we do with all of our uh, safety brief and live courses, you can get WINGS credit. If you go to the broadcast page, which is shown here, you'll see a link to um, click on that you can earn WINGS credit. And Susan, tell us how we can get more information from the print version. Um, well, from the, there's also there's a link to the print copy also on the broadcast page. And toward the end of the show, we'll uh, give you a few more options for how to find the magazine. So hopefully you will find it either in hard copy, um, which is available in various forms, or in one of our electronic versions, which is free. Perfect. So before we get into the meat of this presentation, um, let's have a look at some of the topics that are generally covered in the issues. Susan, I know you're the editor of the magazine, but I also know you're a contributing writer. So tell us a little bit about the mission of, of FAA Safety Briefing and what some of the main topics are. Well, so this is, um, this is our mission statement to be the safety policy voice for non-commercial general aviation. And we have three goals that we try to meet in all the articles. Um, you, you see on this page what our regular departments are. And we have feature articles which are developed. Um, we, we try to develop things thematically so that we're, we're, we're trying to cover something that you might be able to use as a reference later on. As one of my colleagues on the magazine says, we aim for shelf stability so that these are not immediately outdated. So I like the term. We use it a lot. Very good. So let, let's have a look at the storyline of the, the main you know, feature of this magazine, which is um, round up the usual suspects. And for our viewers, this is taken from a very classic movie called Casablanca. It's one of my all-time favorites, and it's one of the all-time great movies. Uh, it has everything you could ask for. It's got a love story. It's got a classic airplane and some of the most memorable quotes that have survived the years and have become part of my culture. Um, Susan, I, I happen to know a little bit about where you got this idea, but maybe, <laughs> maybe you could tell our viewers about the, the fun challenge that is part of this program. So actually, you're making me confess right here in front of everybody. I stole it from you. Yes. Um, I did uh, because, well, the way that, that I, um, I'd heard Paul talk about it, and I'll let him tell that story about how he came up with it. 
but we were looking at a way to cover a, a number of kind of diverse topics. And a couple of them I thought, oh, we've done that before, we've done that before, we've done that before. And suddenly it came into my head, oh, I could, I could use Paul's idea and we could call it Round Up the Usual Suspects and have a Casablanca theme for the issue. Um, but it would be a way to, to tie everything together and that's what we aim to do. So you can, uh, you can sure. tell how you came up with it. You know, the way it all started for me was several years ago, I was conducting a um, instructor meeting at our, at our airline where we get the line check airmen and the simulator instructors together. And one of the questions I asked the group was, you know, what are you seeing out there? What are, what are some of the topics that, you know, you're dealing with as an instructor and an examiner? And one of our long-term instructors stood up and said, well, you know, it's the usual suspects, uh, stalls single engine work, non-precision approaches. And at the end of the meeting, I thought, you know, if the usual suspects continue to be the usual suspects, then maybe we have a training issue that needs to be addressed because our goal should be to eliminate the usual suspects and, and you know, work on those as training topics. So I kind of took that on at, at um, my organization to try to address the usual suspects and then I know in my conversations with you, you, you know, kind of use that as a springboard to come up with this issue. And for the same reasons, what we're trying to do is find ways to address things that seem to be persistent problems so that maybe we can eliminate them as persistent problems, find new That's suspects. Perfect. Well, well, we'll get into this a little bit later, but uh, for right now, I'd like to introduce our special guest as we previous as we do on previous versions of FAA Safety Briefing Live. We have a guest and I'd like to welcome Corey Stevens of, of the FAA. Um, Corey is a research analyst at the FAA Office of Accident Investigation and Prevention. Corey, it's, it's nice to see you. And I appreciate you joining us this evening. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here this evening. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll um, we'll move on with the program. Sure. Uh, yes, I'm, uh, like you said, I'm an operations research analyst with the Office of Accident Investigation and Prevention uh, here in Washington, D.C. I've uh, been with the FAA a little engineering accident investigation section of the Airline Pilots Association uh, prior to that. And then I was also a data land, uh, flight data analyst at uh, United Airlines prior to that. So That's great. So, Corey, we're going we're gonna to come back to you a little bit later in the program. Welcome and stand by, and we'll um, we'll get back to you um, a little bit more in the program. Oh, thank you. You bet. So, Susan, getting on with the, some of the normal columns, Jump Seat is one that's written by John Duncan, of the manager of flight standards. Um, kind of to tee this up, um, I know that the compliance philosophy started, uh, I believe, in 2015. Is that right? Yes. Okay. I think it was somewhere during that time um, I made a presentation to an operators conference and the title of the presentation was called never waste a mistake. And what I meant by that was as, as pilots, we live in a world where we're continually having to mitigate risk and, and manage things and mistakes will happen. Um, I was making the point in my presentation that um, in order for lessons to be learned, they need to be shared and that it's always a good idea to um, discuss, you know, mistakes as, a, as, a, as almost as a gift of learning. So I, I read with interest the Jump Seat article uh, concerning compliance philosophy and what its meaning is. So 
pick it up from there if you would. Sure. Well, you know, one of the reasons that we think some of the usual suspects are still around is that um, people, we, we've, over the years, and not just in aviation, people have learned to hide mistakes. They don't want to confess. And I love the phrase, never waste a good mistake, um, because I think it, it really goes to what we're trying to do with compliance philosophy, which is find and fix problems before they can cause an accident or incident. And the FAA is looking to, um, to, to find ways to assure that there's a free flow of information. And I think Corey will talk about later on that free flow of information is absolutely crucial to making sure that we find issues that otherwise would be hidden until somebody gets caught by them. Um, so we're, we're dealing with things in a different way. Um, and my boss always likes to make the point, this is not about kinder and gentler. This is about more effective. For people who are reckless or unwilling or unable to follow the rules and do what they're supposed to do, yes, there will be enforcement action. But for, for people who make honest mistakes and want to cooperate and help make those mistakes useful for other people and for general aviation safety, um, that's, that's a different matter. And what I've noticed as well, I think it's probably human nature and, and especially so with pilots, is that pilots seem to always have the idea that it won't happen to me. That, you know, it's always going to happen to somebody else. And when we do read about, uh, you know, some event, I, I notice that pilots are very quick to say, oh, well, I would never have done that. And, you know, there's a, a, a quick move to vilify, you know, the pilot or pilots involved in an event. And instead of doing that, you know, we would ask, we should ask ourselves, what can I learn from this so that I don't do it myself? Exactly. And that seems to be, you know, a key element of the compliance philosophy is, is education and training. It, that's exactly it. So I know, let's move on and have a look at some of the data. Um, I know that compliance philosophy has been around since uh, 2015. How's it working? And the table that's in the article references the, I guess it's the top five uh, regulations that most often are associated with compliance actions. So I'm not going to, yeah, we're not going to quiz you on the specific actions, but um, I think uh, it, the, you know, this is one of those places where we really want to encourage you to pick up the magazine and to read about these are the areas where we're seeing issues and these are the areas that we want people to, to try to avoid. Um, I, I wanted also to focus on the fact that we've seen a 75% drop um, in enforcement actions, but the number of compliance actions, which is different, is, is up. And of those who, I thought this was an interesting point too, of those who have been dealt with through compliance actions, only 1% have done it again. So, I mean, we're, we're believing this information sharing, teaching, training, education focus for those who are willing and able to comply. We're, we're getting positive results from it, and that's a good thing. It, it just occurred to me that perhaps the compliance philosophy is a mechanism to deal with the usual suspects. It is. Very good. Among other things. Yes. On our, our next visual is the, is the key topic of this of this presentation, round up the usual suspects, which is a famous quote throughout the movie Casablanca. Susan, you've summarized for us um, several of them. And 
Can you go through some of those for our viewers and also talk a little bit about the uh, fun challenge that you have embedded in the magazine? Yeah, there, there's, uh, we, we used a lot of, there are a lot of different data sources, and we'll talk about some of the FA ones later. Um, but one of the, the data sources that most people are familiar with is the AOPR Safety Institute has a null report that they do every year. And the data, it's uh, the, the most recent one goes back to 2014, but it's still a, it's a very good way to look at what are the incidents and accidents out there. And we, we picked out several things. Um, we found, uh, as, as we're going to talk about later, loss of control. That's obviously a big one. Instructional accidents, that always surprises me. But then again, it doesn't because when you really think about it, instructors are pretty busy. Uh, VFR into IMC, that is definitely a persistent usual suspect. And then the other one that, that we really see, keep seeing over and over again is runway incursions of one sort or another. So, so those are the topics that we decided to address in this particular issue as our usual suspects that we want to eliminate. Um, and we, we really tried in pretty much every article, there is something that is inspired by or um, it's either a direct quote or a, or a phrase that is inspired by Casablanca. So we'd like to encourage you just for fun to try to keep track of what you uh, recognize from the film. Go watch the movie if you haven't seen it because it's a great movie. And um, I, I think uh, we'll, we'll try to, to recognize the person who comes up with the most in a future issue with a magazine. It should be fun. I, I've looked through it. I, I, as I said, I'm a big fan of the movie. I've seen it a number of times. And if I read the magazine as many times as I've seen the movie, I, I think I could pick out most of them. So. Yeah, well, I, I have to, I put a lot of them in there, so I'm going to have to figure it out myself how many there are. Very good. So one of the uh, quotes in the movie um, through one of the scenes is on our, on our next visual about Master of My Fate, and uh, it references a um, scene reasonably early on in the movie. When I, when I read that, I thought, you know, Master of My Fate is another way of saying piloting can ban um, as, as PICs of aircraft, we are masters of, of our fate. And we're, you know, it, it really describes the responsibility that we all have as a pilot in command of an aircraft. I did see that this is largely devoted to loss of control. And then there's also some information on, you know, slow flight and stalls, its role and treatment in the new ACS. So, Walk us through a little bit of this, Susan, and then I'll um, have a couple of comments just to kind of summarize it for us. Sure. Well, loss of control in flight or loss of control during maneuvering is just one of the persistent causes. And as you see here, performing maneuvers that should be within our capabilities often uh, causes us to be no longer a master of my fate. So this kind of led to one of the, the issues that I wanted to address in this article. Um, the FAA's Airplane Flying Handbook, the most recent version, has a whole chapter. It used to be called the Stall Spin Chapter, and it's been renamed because the most important thing is maintaining aircraft control. So that's what it's about now. And that's why that's the subtitle of the article. But uh, there was, we, there, there's been a lot of discussion about um, what I learned as minimum controllable airspeed. Uh, I think we're trying to find a different term for it. But the FAA did not take that training or testing element out. It's, it's still part of the full stall task, both power on and power off stalls, because you can't get to a full stall without going through that flight condition. 
what we did do was to reframe what we call now call the slow flight task to be um, slow flight as you would perform it in normal flight operations. And what it really comes down to is that, um, you know, I think as I've gotten the last bullet here, we weren't making headway against loss of control by testing pilots in a way that encouraged them to disregard the stall horn. And I personally have seen pilots who seem to ignore it because, hey, it sounds normal. I've been, I, I know what to do that. So what we're trying to do is look at rounding up a, this particular usual suspect in a more effective way while still encouraging people to train in all regimes of flight. And obviously, like I said, this, this particular element is, is still in the full stall tasks. It's including with an acknowledgement. So, um, so that's, that's really the, um, the gist of this article. Well, and I, I own experience and I'm sure it's similar to many people who, who, you know, learn to fly in GA aircraft. A typical stall lesson was, Let's go up, do some stalls. Let's see how easy these are. Don't be afraid. When in fact, I, I think stalls are something that we should never really be comfortable with. Yes, we need to know about you know recognition and recovery, but even in the 121 environment, there's been an entire uh, rework of how stalls are introduced and trained, both from an academic standpoint as well as a practical standpoint. And in March of 2019, there's a new rule covering how Part 121 carriers introduce this. It's part of extended envelope training, but we have to come up with a program on how we will teach slow flight at both high altitude as well as low altitude. So it's encompassing all phases of aviation. And I I believe we'll make some progress. I mean, we've made quite a lot of progress and now we've been sort of undoing the way we used to teach things and kind of looking at it under a new way. Um, in, in summary, I mean, what we're really talking about is flight path management mm -hmm. and flight path management, whether it's under manual control or automated, both, you know, have a role in uh, slow flight and also stall awareness. Right, and then being master of your fate. And one of your comments made me think of a phrase that has certainly crossed my mind a lot in talking about this topic. When we do the same thing uh, and get the same result and keep doing it, then that, that's one of the definitions of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. We need to, we need to try something different. So um, I think, as you said, we're doing that across the community. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the next next topic is uh, about um, wrong one wrong surface operations, runway incursions, runway excursions, taxiway mistakes, things like that. The most important point that I saw in this is that many of these occur with good visibility and in daylight conditions. So, what's what's going on, Susan? Well, this article talks about environmental and human factors. It goes into more detail than we can cover here, so we'd certainly encourage you to read the article. But, um, you know, the environmental factors include things like, you know, there's some pretty complicated runways out there, and there are various mitigations for that, but there are also the good old human factors that trip us up every time. Distraction, fatigue, expectation bias, um, 
I have found myself plagued by all of those. Um, I mean, one of the stories I can tell on myself one time is expectation bias. I was expecting to be told cleared to land on runway one. I was cleared to land on runway one zero. Um, in my head, I heard it as zero one rather than one zero. So fortunately, it was one of those. It was it, it didn't cause a, a problem, but it, it could have. And so I think all of us have been prone to the sorts of things that, that happen here. Um, and we talk about mitigation study. Some of the, most of the things that you, you've heard here before, um, and I have a small confession to make. One of the reasons that we ended up with this particular issue of the magazine, this topic um, of putting things together, is that you know we're, we're constantly encouraged to address things like runway safety. And my first reaction was, oh, goodness, we've done that before. Do we really have to go through the same things again? But if if the same things are happening, certainly we need to keep addressing it. And so that's what we're trying to do with this piece. Sure. One of the recommendations I have for general aviation pilots is, is something borrowed from my 121 world, and that is even if you're going to a, an airport on a visual approach on a bright, clear, beautiful day, if you've not been there before, it's not a bad idea just to back it up with an approach aid like an ILS. Um, we, we fly visual approaches 90% of the time, but we always have an ILS frequency in there if it's available to back it up so that it's right. a little bit obvious for us. You can do the same thing in general aviation. And another tip might be if you have a, a mnemonic or a checklist or however you manage your, your pre-takeoff uh, flight um, is to put, you know, runway heading, you know, as the, one of the items on the checklist to make sure that the runway heading corresponds to something that, you know, is making sense based on your environment. So it's an important topic. And, and you're right, whether they're small airports or large airports, sometimes there's just confusion that, needs to be managed. Absolutely. And we can help ourselves too by not multitasking or trying to. One of my rules for people I fly with is all alleys outside when the airplane is moving, nobody's programming, nobody is taking notes, nobody is doing anything except looking outside. Well, in fact, um, many, many years ago at our airline, we actually eliminated um, a taxi checklist um, that used to be our normal checklist was a taxi checklist, which was done with at least one person with their head down. And we eliminated it altogether and took items from the taxi checklist and either moved it to, you know, kind of an after start or before takeoff with the idea being when you're in a busy environment, you want, you want your head on a swivel, looking yep. around, looking for things. So absolutely. Okay. Um, the next, um, topic here is it's entitled maybe not today but it's central to one of the issues about loss of control but it's um vfr into imc so there's some information coming from the null report um and you've got some data that shows the risk of fatalities in this is quite high absolutely um, and I, I want to point out, too, this article was um, the author of this particular piece is Sabrina Woods. You may remember her from the last uh, broadcast. And it's written in her usual creative style. She's certainly gone, uh, done her part with the Casablanca theme, as you'll see in the article. But uh, she also proposes in here, and we really encourage you to read this, 
that she she has a different take on some of the reasons that people go uh, do VFR into IMC. And they may be some of the same concepts, but she's named them a little differently just around the river bend. Where did everybody go? And the no place like home, of course, is your getting home, get there itis that sure. I think we've all been prey to from time to time. So um, I, I just, I'll wrap this one up by saying, as she points out here, the best preventive measure is have a plan B, but also D, E, F, and G for anything that you're going to do. And make sure that you're prepared to execute those. Um, uh, if you have an accident on a good day or, I mean, on a bad day, chances are good. The investigation will happen on the, a really nice one because weather does pass. Indeed. And I think that the role of technology in this is also something that needs to be considered. The, the more we're able to put in our cockpit, the more we might be over-reliant on it and possibly maybe overconfident that we can, you know, we can manage this. But as Sabrina pointed out last time, the, the tools are, are there to kind of give you an overall picture. They're not necessarily uh, a tactical measure. Exactly. Uh, fuel and managing fuel is the topic of our next one. Um, uh, Title up, not an easy day to forget. Uh, this is really about developing a set of procedures for managing fuel. Um, there's some great ideas in here, and, and Susan, uh, elaborate on us on some of those, if you would, please. Well, they they talk about um, how easy it is to do. It's it's very easy for all of us to sit home and read about it and say, "Oh, I would never do that." And we mentioned that earlier. Well, this is one that particularly speaks to me because years ago. Um, I had just finished my CFI instrument uh, instructor check ride, and I was so excited and so eager to get home. And I jumped in the airplane and I flew away. And I started thinking, "Gee, how much fuel do I have?" And then I re- I started doing mental math and realized that probably I was going to be pushing it. So I started thinking, "Probably I'll get home." And then I remembered a friend who always says. If you have to use the word probably in association with any of your flight planning, you should definitely think again. So um, definitely go back and start over. So I realized that um, it would be a really ugly thing if I had an accident, a fuel starvation accident, right after I had this triumph of getting my instrument instructor certificate. So I diverted, I got fuel, and I felt a whole lot better. Um, but this this talks, and by the way, I, I'm glad that I did. I probably would have made it home, but I shouldn't ever have to wonder that. But but it was a lesson for me in how easy it is to talk yourself into doing things like that. So the disciplines that are taught, that are discussed in this article, calculate your time under different conditions, percentage-based, that was a new one for me. So you can read about that in this article uh, a timer. A, we all still have one. Hopefully we all still use them. Um, and then this is the technology piece. A lot of airplanes now have fuel totalizers. And if you're looking to upgrade and you have some money to put into it, that's uh, that could be a worthwhile investment. Well, and I also believe that we shouldn't leave some of the old school um, methods so and technologies behind. I mean, the idea of just writing down on a chart or a log or something, your fuel use at a certain point in time and space is still not a bad idea. Yes, we have all the information that we can get in through automation and some of the great tools on board. But 
it's only as good as the information we put in. So if we did not load the fuel on board correctly, then the rest of the information won't make any sense. So sometimes just kind of reverting back to how, you know, we used to do things might be a good idea. Exactly. The next topic is uh, refers back to the reference that we started out with earlier about um, instruction and risk mitigation through instruction. And it, it, it comes from a line in the movie where Elsa says that you have to think for both of us. So talk to us about that and especially about the ACS. Sure. Well, this one is again instructional accidents. At first, you you may it might be surprising that there are that's one of the the big usual suspects. But then, if you've been an instructor, you realize well it is a busy time. You are truly multitasking because your attention has to be in thinking for two. Um, you should obviously be moving the student toward or your your person the customer toward thinking um, for themselves. But when you start off. Um, a new primary student, a new instrument student, you really are doing the thinking for everybody and the managing the flight, conducting the flight. So this gets to where the instructor ACS, which is under, um, it's it's in development now and starting to get closer to being released for comment. Um, it, it really talks about not just teaching risk management, but managing risk while you're a flight instructor. So how you do the thinking for two to be effective and safe for everybody that's in the airplane. So that's uh, that, that's the, this article talks a little bit more uh, in detail about some of the things that are coming in the instructor ACS. Well, and risk is, and risk management is a skill that can be taught just like heading airspeed altitude management. Exactly. The uh, post-flight section on the next visual is um, a little bit more about risk and how we how we deal with it. Um, more comments about the ACS and how important it is to remember our our role as PIC and how important this topic of risk management is. Um, everybody wants to do the right thing, but sometimes, you know, it requires some extra effort. Exactly. Yeah, this is uh, this column. We moved it here because it fits in with the instructional risk and a little bit of discussion about the ACS and the risk management inclusion integration with everything. Um, they, we, we all want to see ourselves, we, we, who we are really we're pilots. We want to be good pilots. We, we try to be good pilots, but how do we do that? And we, we really do have to do better, all of us, in trying to help get around some of the things that continue to cause problems. And yeah. when we think that it couldn't possibly happen to me, well, for just about every one of the issues here, I can think of somewhere where I, if only I could have you know, a slight change one way or another could have made a big difference. And there are things that I didn't even know what I didn't know. Exactly. So that's, that's a good summary of, of many of the uh, topics in this, in this issue. I'd like to move now to our guest and bring back Corey Stevens. So Corey, one of the things I saw in your article was 
about the role of um, ASIAS, which is a, a program to gather data, safety data. And you made mention of the fact that um, general aviation has a role in ASIAS. And I'm just curious to what sort of data can we get from a general aviation operation that would feed into this program? And tell us a little bit about ASIAS to get us started. Sure. No, happy to. And thanks, thanks again, um, Paul and Susan, for, for having me this evening. There's actually quite a bit of, of data that we can learn from general aviation. Um, I think we first really learned the value of flight data or data in general um, in GA. There's an accident that occurred back in 2007 at the University of North Dakota. It was a student and instructor in the cross country in October on a Piper Seminole. Uh, aircraft never returned. Um, next morning, uh, began a search operation. They found the, the tail of the airplane sticking out of a, a bog in uh, Minnesota. Um, pulled the aircraft uh, out of the bog, uh, did a control check, everything good. Um, like a spatial disorientation accident. Um, dark moonless night, um, no, no apparent um, problems with the aircraft. The aircraft, though, was equipped with, a, uh, with an Avidyne um, flight deck, and uh, the NTSB pulled the, uh, pulled the uh, avion sent to, to Washington, D.C., had a breath. Uh, when they took a look at the data, it had gone from straight level flight to heading towards the ground in uh, about accident. Um, went back and reexamined the the wreckage. Uh, one of the uh, one of the UND uh, party members had noted some uh, dents along the uh, at the top of the wing on the empennage. And on further further look, there was um, seemed to be some 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 bio material in there. Um, so the uh, NGSB IIC uh, had that sample, uh, had it uh, sent out for, for uh, some, some DNA analysis, and it turned out to be goose DNA. So what probably back prior to uh, uh, good data uh, would have gone down as a spatial disorientation accident was, uh, was, was found to be a, um, uh, a wildlife strike. Um, so it, it, it really opened, I think, a lot of people's eyes as to what you could do with flight data and the importance of flight data. And um, at that time, like I said, around 2007, 2008, um, UND began looking at uh, doing kind of flight data monitoring, which is uh, FOQA without the without like a full blown FOQA FOQA program. Uh, so they began doing some some FDM work, and then they, in conjunction with the Embry with Embry Riddle, um, began a formal research project as part of the at that time Cigar, the one of the uh, GA centers of excellence. And um, over time, avionics uh, evolved. You went from Avidyne to some, some Garmin G1000 equipped aircraft that pulling data off those was as simple as removing an SD card from the bezel. And I think uh, off the top of my head, I think it's around 60, 62 parameters uh, were the kind of the base uh, for the beginning. Uh, that was the amount, of the, the, the amount of data you could pull off everything from airspeed to uh, vertical speed to G's to uh, uh, pitch and roll. It was just very good data. And uh, uh, I think we're about 12 to 14 universities that contribute in some in some way. And we've got around 840 to 850,000 hours of GA flight training data in ASIAS. ASIAS is a, is a, is a means to bring different data sources together, look at it um, um, as a community, um, 
as an as an kind of aggregated to look for risks and then uh, um, find ways to mitigate those risks before they become a fatal accident. Uh, we so can also the, use. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, please. No, say we can also use that data uh, to help us uh, determine some of the mitigations that we've put in place in the past. Are they they having the effect we want? Um, so if we've we've done laws, we've done studies. Uh, Aviation Steering Committee on Loss of Control, uh, System Component Failure Power Plant, so anything engine-related. Uh, we currently have a study ongoing on uh, control flight into terrain. Those fixes, those mitigations that we've put in place for those accidents, we can use this data to help us determine if, they're, if we're having the desired desired effect. And this is everything from flight data to pilot reports to data from manufacturers, we, the FAA, bring in about 180 different data sources. So that's radar data, outage data, ATC data, all those different pieces of information coming together to give us a kind of a complete picture of what's what's going on in the NAS. So the, the data doesn't come to us. It goes to a kind of a central location, third party. It's not that uh, that we're using that data to, to kind of go through and, and, and look for things. It's us as a community looking at that data. So it sounds like out of an um, unfortunate event, some good things have come from that. So th thanks for summarizing that for us, Corey. Um, Susan, you two more um, columns about uh, checklist is one of the columns and then uh, vertically speaking. So would you like to pick up from there, please? Sure. Checklist was with, with some of the work that Corey has just talked about and some of the information that he, that they provided I mean, this goes into, it's not just about finding the and getting the information, but now what can we do with it to educate, inform, and try to make a difference, try to move the needles, as they say. Um, so one of the, the things that comes out of it is, is a product that's highlighted here in checklist, um, the GA safety enhancement topic sheets. And those are accessible on the same page on the FA website where you can find FA safety briefing on the magazine. But these topic sheets are developed in coordination with the GA Joint Steering Committee, which is um, Corey has talked about here. And they are intended to be bite-sized pieces that summarize the problem and things that you can do to resolve it. So, Corey, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you go about developing, um, how does the group come about, come to the conclusion to develop these things? Sure, sure. Yeah, the, the work of the, the general aviation joints, like the, the commercial aviation safety team that, that kind of came before it, um, it's purely data-driven. So the, the first thing we have to do as a community is take a look at a say 10, 15, 20 years of, of fatal general aviation accidents and uh, categorize those. So there, uh, there's a, um, a taxonomy that was developed when CAS first began its work. So that when I call a loss control versus what you call a loss control versus what someone else's causes causes calls loss control, we're talking the same events. Once we once we categorize those events, we can take a look at where we see the largest uh, the largest risks set, where we see the the largest amount of fatal accidents. From there, we get subject matter experts together. We conduct a kind of a root cause analysis of those accidents, uh, find the the, uh, the risks that are leading to those, develop mitigations. And the important thing for for this group is we throw everything against the wall, so nothing nothing nothing's off limits. Uh, there's a scoring process that it helps us uh, determine which of those mitigations will be that will be the most effective. Uh, we do a cost benefit analysis to kind of give us an idea where the best bang for the buck is. Um, 
then those get voted on um, by the GAGSC, which is made up of the community. So the pilot pilot organizations, manufacturers, um, the instructor community, academia, different lines of business within the FAA, um, all those in the insurance industry, all those folks that have a uh, that that can kind of bring resources and uh, knowledge to the table, um, help us develop these. Um, there's not a single silver bullet. Everything's not fixed with technology or training or or uh, best practices or uh, procedures. It's a mixture of all those different things. So these um, these uh, kind of like you were mentioning the kind of these this, this bite-sized information um, uh, bulletins that you can uh, get on those uh, safety enhancements cover all those different things. So it could be anything from um, affordable angle of attack indicators to um, aeronautical decision-making, uh, pilot medication. Uh, there was actually a, a lot of us, a lot of us when we, we began our work were, were surprised. Um, I just, a very small, uh, well, small story. Uh, one of the things that came up was, uh, was use of medication like, um, uh, that, that contained diphenhydramine, so things like Benadryl. Uh, we had a doc from Cami uh, who was on the group with us who asked us, hey, how, how long after you take a, uh, something with, with diphenhydramine can, should, should you fly? A good chunk of us, aviation safety uh, professionals in the room, pilots, uh, we all took the max dosage, which was, you know, it's every four to eight hours. So we took eight hours times two, 16 hours. That was our answer. Doc said, no, five times that, so 40 hours. Yeah, uh, so, actually, Corey, we, you know, that was that was one of the issues that we talked about in, I think, uh, one, our last issue of safety. Oh, I'm sorry. We talked, no, no, no. It's, it, it's, it's all, it goes to the fact that this is all of a piece. Yeah. And uh, the way that, that these things are done, to me, it's, it's sort of like making spirits. You start with a lot and you end up with a small, potent piece. So yeah. we, we've done that here. And if we move on to the next one, we're talking about uh, vertically speaking, um, where you've got the helicopter safety team, which is you, you've been contributing to some of the work that they've done as well. So um, I know you're not, you mentioned before, you're not a helicopter guy, but uh, you might uh, just highlight a couple of the things on this one and then we'll move on. Sure. Yeah. So the, um, the, the, the process that we developed through the commercial aviation safety team, uh, we've utilized it with general aviation. We brought it to the, uh, the, the helicopter community, um, much like GA and, 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 the, commercial, and the commercial team. Uh, it's the full community, manufacturers, pilots, everyone working together. Um, and as you can see at the, uh, the, the Pareto on the, the bottom, the bottom left there, um, same thing, start with the largest killers, work your way down. Um, their mitigations have been everything from, um, you know, management, uh, management, uh, uh training for, uh, for, for pilots and, and crews, uh, enhanced helicopter vision system, a vision, uh, those were those are factors that we saw in those 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 top those top killers. We're also expanding the the work, and it's going. We're doing some work with the UA, uh, UAS community now. So uh, they've okay. actually begun. They haven't had any fatalities yet, but they're working on discovering what risks they have that could lead to a fatality and trying to mitigate those those early. So you're rounding up the usual suspects there even earlier. We are. We're trying to. All right, Corey. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much for, for the invitation. Program. It's very informative, and thanks so much for what you're doing for safety. No, thank you again. Our, our, our pleasure. pleasure. And Susan, we, we have um, 
another another take from the movie. Uh, common quote from Rick Blaine was, "Here's looking at you, kid." Uh, there's three uh, National GA Award honorees that we'll uh, just briefly introduce. Um, Daniel Chrisman is the 2018 Flight Instructor of the Year, and he's very active in the EAE Young Eagles program. Yeah, this is a, it, it was really fun to read about these people. And for those who are going to be at Oshkosh, you'll have a chance to meet them in person because, of course, they'll be there to receive the awards. Uh, here's looking at you kids seemed to be the perfect um, title to use to introduce these. I remember one of the things in the article about Daniel is that uh, he considers an empty seat to be a wasted opportunity to share aviation. So um, and then moving on to the next one, we have. Um, we have uh, William Pancake, and I, I think, Paul, you particularly noticed that that this is one of the few people who has received both the Charles Taylor Master Mechanic Award and the Wright Brothers Master Pilot Award. So there are, there are not very many people who can achieve one of those, much less both. No, that's right. He's a, certainly a talented individual, and he, he deserves the award. Yeah, he's um, he he specializes in some of uh, you notice here Aronka aircraft, and I thought that was pretty cool too. Absolutely. So then, leading to the next one, our our uh, FAA safety team representative of the year. Um, what her specialty is, Catherine Cavagnaro, her specialty really goes to one of the topics here, uh, avoiding loss of control, because she's made a name for herself in spin training, recovery, and avoidance. Um, I was also struck by the fact that she is, I guess, her day job. She's a professor of mathematics. So these these are always uh, it's always great to get to meet the general award, uh, general aviation award winners because they're such multi talented people. Indeed, yeah. So congratulations to the to the three of them, and um, they they do great work for the for the industry for us. Absolutely. So our next um, kind of regular recurring topic is concerning uh, maintenance procedures and mechanics. Um, this specific one is about torque. Um, I could sort of leave this off with just a quick story. Um, I used to um, have a project to be building an airplane, and I learned very quickly about the recommendations from the manufacturers about certain fasteners have to be torqued properly. Um, but my real life experience with torque uh, had something to do with my motorcycle. I had a um, very slight leak of my water pump, which was going to be handled under warranty with no trouble. But while I was underneath the motorcycle, just sort of gazing at things, I looked up at the oil pan and I thought that one of the screws didn't seem quite tight enough just by visual inspection. I didn't have any data other than just my, my eye. Uh Oh, so what does, what does anybody with a wrench in his hand do except, you know, I must know better. I'll go ahead and tighten this just a little bit. And in a heartbeat, I twisted the head right off. So now on top of the water leak, now I had an oil leak. And because my motorcycle is from a country in Europe um, with a three-letter manufacturer name, everything <laughs> is expensive, especially the mistakes that we make ourselves. So I, I got the repair, and I, I got it fixed and i got a lecture from the mechanic saying don't do that again that these things are torqued for a reason and you should pay attention to them well and that's that's one of the things that this article um goes to that it really is important to pay attention to what the manufacturer's recommendations are even more so in an airplane because we all know that you can't just pull over 
or um, as easily as you can in a car. And so I thought the title here, A Most Vulnerable Spot, some of you will recognize that as another of our, our movie references. It was appropriate for this one. So um, you can read all about it. Yeah, it's it was it's a good article and also a good reminder about you know do the right thing when you're working with with fasteners and whether you're on repair or a building mission, it, it helps to follow the manufacturer's guidelines. Absolutely. Our next two aeromedical topics um, are covered in aeromedical advisory and condition inspection, and the the first one Susan deals with um, opioids. And the article by the federal air surgeon, Dr. Mike Berry, discusses that in, in some detail. Yeah, it does. I mean, this goes to something Corey was talking about before, that a lot of people don't know what the required wait time is for anything. And we did talk about Benadryl. Um, I think he, one of the columns, the previous columns, discussed that more in detail. But uh, look at this. The, the general, the required wait time for most pain medication is at least three days. So we're not talking about hours. We're talking about days. Um, one of the issues that really is addressed here is that opioids, you know, people who get addicted to opioids may, be, uh, may start out as legitimate users of pain medication, and you just don't know how easily you can get addicted. So um, this is just uh, one of those awareness things and make sure you talk to your AME and uh, just as always, we, we always have to be re- ultimately responsible for doing the right thing with our health. Yeah, it's a great article with some great advice. And the next, the next um, medical related article is uh, condition inspection. Um, the, the phrase, a gun pointed right at your heart about coronary heart disease. Another line from the movie. We're giving Um, away too many of the secrets. Oh, no, no, no. There are lots more in there, I promise. Um, These are just some of the obvious ones. Um, But yeah, coronary heart disease. um, And the the, the point that's being made here, one of them is that uh, sometimes the symptoms, this is the difference between operating on the ground and operating in the air, that between not just altitude, but some of the situations that might come about when you're flying could uh, trigger symptoms that could be very dangerous. So um, I think when we talked about a most vulnerable spot um, in maintenance, there there is a most vulnerable spot for people here as well. So, Absolutely. And again, some good information about people who may have had this condition, what their options are. And, Absolutely. you know, the, the importance of, of looking into it. So the next topic is ATIS. And this is this is the FAA safety briefing, I would say, roundup of, of topics and roundup of news over the past few months. Uh, some of them are, are spelled out here, but this is a nice it's a, it's a nice summary for the readers to, to see what's been going on in the industry. Yeah, and I'd like to point out, too, going back to some of the stuff that Corey had worked on, um, this issue, the ATIS column, talks about two of the safety enhancement topics. July, uh, fly the airplane first. We've all heard that. And then the August um, is, the August version is going to be maneuvering flight, safety while turning, climbing, descending close to the ground, because um, we all know loss of control and maneuvering flight has still been one of our issues. So Sure. Those are those are the safety enhancement topics for the summer. So keep a lookout for those. That's great. We'll, we'll begin wrapping up this this edition of Safety Briefing Live, uh, and 
I know that you're always interested in feedback. We are. Uh, how can people give feedback and how do you how do you respond to it? So you see the email address on the bottom. There's also a QR code that will take you right to our mailbox. Uh, we do check that mailbox. And unless somebody asks us not to for some reason, um, we, we do answer everybody. But unless somebody doesn't want um, to be published, we show you how we respond to the feedback right here in Flight Forum. Do you have a sense of how many people are uh, asking? back and giving comments on a regular it basis it depends on I, I i couldn't give you a number right off the top of my head but it does vary according to topics some topics and some issues seem to generate more interest than others so and sometimes i'm always surprised by what gets attention but uh we we obviously try to take everything seriously well i, I suspect that this edition will get 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 some feedback for you i hope so yeah so there's a number of places to, to find FAA safety briefing. There's, there's obviously the web address. And what are some of the other ones, Susan? Um, so the web, obviously, you can subscribe if you want to, a print edition. Those are at the bottom, as you see there. Um, we have various electronic formats. Uh, you can get email notifications. And you can also follow us on social media. We contribute pretty substantially to the FAA's Facebook posts. And we have our own Twitter stream at FA Safety Brief, and that is monitored pretty carefully as well. So there are lots of ways to talk to us and to reach us. Um, and as we move to the next slide, you'll see one of the, the reasons at the bottom of this one is the uh, was a, a pointer to archived editions. And I do want to point out, if you go there, you can download for free in whatever electronic format you want, uh, some of our past issues, which, again, we, we aim for things that will be references and that will live for a while, like basic med, compliance philosophy. These are topics that if you're looking for a, um, a single reference for specific topics and what the FA's views are, um, that's what you'll find here. So we hope that you'll take advantage of that. They're, they're, they're great magazines and and... All of all of you involved in it should should really be congratulated and have a word of thanks for putting together such a such a nice program. We have a great staff, and if you want to meet them, uh, the broadcast page has a link to the FAA safety team staff. And one of these days, I'm going to persuade one of them to join us on this program as the guest. They've all been a little shy so far. Great, and I know that the FAA, yourself included, will have a presence at Oshkosh. Indeed. Um, this issue of the magazine includes uh, the Fa Safety Center Forum schedule, um, including uh, some of the presentations that you and I will do jointly and together. Corey, uh, are you presenting this year as well? I'm not sure if we're pre presenting, but we will be in the, uh, we'll have a um, General Aviation Joint Steering Committee booth and in uh, accident investigation prevention booth uh, right behind the, uh, uh, the Safety Center area. So those of you, thank you. So those of you who are going to be in Oshkosh, look for us there. We'll be interested and eager to meet you. Um, and uh, there's the schedule. But the the if it changes any, there'll be a big poster board outside the safety center. And it's air conditioned. And it is air conditioned. That matters. Which often is a good thing. So, so Susan, um, I know that you've got the next issue up September, October of um, this year, and I see. A kaleidoscope. You do. 
Um, yes, the, the kaleidoscope theory, what, what we're doing with September, October is we wanted to talk about the role that uh, various parts of the aviation community play. And these would be big organizations, small organizations, tight clubs. Uh, obviously, the FA safety team is one. Um, but what, the way that we decided to frame it was in terms of a kaleidoscope, because it's actually one of my favorite things, you can pick it up and give it a twist and the same pieces can come up with a very different picture. And the thinking for organizing the issues this way is that you can, as you progress through your aviation ambitions and experience and interest, you give it a different twist and you can create the community that works for you and supports you and what you're trying to do in different ways. So that's the organizing theme and I can't wait to see what we figure out for the cover. I'm, I'm sure it's all a challenge to to find the content, but uh, I'll look forward to that one as well. And we'll make a, a presentation uh, sometime in September, I believe. So we'd like to remind our viewers about uh, the WINGS credit that's available um, for this presentation. And the uh, broadcast page has a, has a link for WINGS credit. And then the print copy uh, is also available through the broadcast page. So I encourage everybody to do their wings work, have a look at the print copy to find some of the quotes and answers. And that'll be a wrap up for us. So Susan, it's always good to work with you. And our special thanks to, to Corey for his, his appearance and for his work. And I'd also like to uh, say thanks to the magazine staff for all that they contribute and to John Typen, who is the man behind the curtain and making all the magic work for the rest of us. So it's uh, great to work with you all. And Corey, thanks for letting me twist your arm. Uh, oh, very glad so to have you. Well, and my thanks to John as well. He makes, he makes this easy for us. So you all thanks, everybody. we'll look forward to seeing you in September and please come by the FAA booth or the FAA building at Oshkosh and uh, look at some of the presentations there. Take care.